Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, this morning, we're actually going to be continuing our walk through the Gospel of John. Um, we are just at the beginning. So today, we're going to finish chapter 1. If you remember, last week we looked at the most epic intro in all of literature, with the exception of maybe Genesis. But John stole from Genesis, so it's okay, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as we talked about last week, John's prologue is not just an introduction to his letter, it's an invitation to know God, to know who God is. And as we talked about last week, the next 21 chapters are actually the context of John's opening, of John's prologue. That's the purpose of this book is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. So as we continue today, the first half of chapter 1 covered a lot of information, a lot of ground, and if we really think about it, we're kind of feeling maybe a little bit lost. Right, there's this invitation to know God, this invitation that we can follow God. And we may say yes, but we're like, what does that look like? Well, over the next 21 chapters, we're going to be exploring what that looks like. Right, we have several months to unpack this invitation to know God and to believe in Him for life. And as we look at the rest of chapter 1 this morning, we're going to see two more invitations. Right, there are two more invitations made to the followers of God that will help us to know God and then to have life that is found only in Jesus. So the first half of this passage that we're going to look at today, we are going to be introduced to the ministry of John the Baptist. So you guys can go ahead and open up your Bibles, John chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. And it says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He, conf- he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, and John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said. After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, 
This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so as we look at John the Baptist's ministry, we actually see the very first invitation right in this passage. John the Baptist um, is not John the author of this gospel. So just for clarity's sakes, uh, when I refer to John the Baptist, I'm just going to call him the baptizer. If I start saying John, we start getting really, really confused. So uh, they are not the same person. So when I refer to the bapt- baptizer, I'm referring to John the Baptist. And in this passage, we see the baptizer inviting people to come and see. But we have to look at what he is inviting people to come and see. He's not telling people to come and look at him, but he's inviting the others to come and see the one who is greater than him. So let's just spend a couple minutes looking at this invitation that John offers to people to come and see. As we begin this passage, we see Jews from Jerusalem that come to where John the baptizer, the baptizer is baptizing people and he's telling people about the Messiah and he's saying, hey, he's coming and you guys need to repent. Now these leaders came with one purpose. They wanted to know where John got his authority. Where did he get the authority to speak and to teach and to baptize people? This guy out in the wilderness was baptizing these Jews who were actually practicing the faith of the temple. They were dedicated in the worship of God. They were going to the temple, but this guy out in the wilderness eating locusts and wearing camel clothes, he is all of a sudden teaching with authority, and he is baptizing people. So they come out, and they want to know, where did you get your authority? And I want you to notice that the baptizer, while he is very well aware of the authority that he has in verse 33, he actually acknowledged that authority from the one who sent him, but he doesn't go and tell this authority to them because he knows that whatever authority he has is nothing compared to the authority of the one who is to come, the one who is actually there and the one that is unrecognized by the people, the one that they do not know. The baptizer immediately turns their question into a matter of bearing witness to that one, to that one that they do not know. The baptizer from the very, very beginning makes it well known that this is not about him, that he is nothing. This is about the Messiah. This is about the Christ. This is about the one that was prophesied by the prophets. And so if we just look at the baptizer's answers, look how he answers this question. They ask him, what do you say about yourself? And the baptizer responds, I am the one calling out in the wilderness. And that is a quote from Isaiah 4, uh, 43. And that's the beginning of actually about 26 chapters in Isaiah's book where he is talking about promises that, the, that God has made and uh, they all refer to the Messiah that is to come. Right? It's a, a 40 through 66. It's full of these promises. It begins by announcing the good news that is coming to Jerusalem about this guy in the wilderness. In chapter 40, a voice will cry out in the wilderness and prepare the way of the Lord. And then Isaiah goes on to speak of the redemption that is provided by the Lord's suffering servant. And we see that in Isaiah 52 and 53. And then Isaiah ends this prophecy with the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. And we see that in chapters 65 and 66. And the baptizer is aware of the one that he has pointed them to. He has pointed them to the Messiah that Isaiah has prophesied about. He is just the messenger to bring 
the good news of the arrival of this Messiah. But then the baptizer invites them to come and see this Messiah, to come and see this one that was prophesied about. And he uses some key terms that Isaiah uses throughout his prophecy. Right, we see the Lamb of God. And this is in direct correlation to the, the suffering servant that is mentioned throughout Isaiah 53. And, and it says in Isaiah 53 verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And we see here that Isaiah is, is talking about the atoning death of the Messiah that is to come. It's like a lamb before his shears. And then in verse 10 we see that this lamb is offered up as a guilt offering. And Isaiah tells us in verse 11 that out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their inequities. And we talk about this lamb of God that's going to take the punishment on behalf of the guilty sinners in order to deal with the problem of sin once and for all. His death not only heals us from sin and removes our inequities, but his death, more importantly, satisfies the wrath of a 100% just God. And because his wrath is satisfied, is through Jesus that brings peace between sinners and a holy God. We also see that John the Baptist talks about the one with the Spirit. And this is in Isaiah 42. It begins with God saying, Behold my servant whom I uphold my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. And he will bring forth justice to the nations. And what we see with Jesus is that he is different. Unlike the judges before him, unlike the prophets before him, unlike the kings throughout the Old Testament who we see that the the Spirit came upon them for a time and then left them, verse 32 points us that the Spirit will remain on Jesus. The Spirit will stay in him and he will be the one to bring forth the justice. And it is John's own witness of when he saw that dove come that he can say, I have seen and I have testified. And when we look at that original Greek, those tense of those verbs, those are perfect tense verbs. They're demonstrating that John the Baptist, that he is and he will continue to see and to testify to the glory that he sees in Jesus. And this underscores how for him, the sight of the Spirit descending on Jesus in bodily form, it was this transforming significance in his witness. And he saw that happen, and now his witness changed to not he's coming, but he is here. And it was also that same thing that allowed him to look at the people and to testify with clarity and conviction and declare that that is the Son of God. And not only does this baptizer make this connection between Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah and that Messiah being Jesus. But when we look through scripture, we also see that Jesus uses those same passages to say who he is and to claim that he is that Messiah that, that Isaiah prophesies about. If you guys remember when Jesus was in the temple and he opened up the scrolls and he went to Isaiah 61. And it started off with, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
and has sent me to the blind to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. And it is this same letter that Jesus refers to proclaiming that he is the Messiah. But before Jesus said, I am here, we see in this passage that John the Baptist cries out, he is here. He is the one, as he points to Jesus. John the Baptist knows that he's only a voice. Right? He is just preparing the way for the Messiah to come. His ministry is almost totally insignificant to the ministry of the Messiah that he is introducing. And if you would ask John, he would tell you it is insignificant. And we go back, it is Jesus that is talking about the role that John plays. But when John is asked, he takes all of the light, he takes all the focus, directs it from himself to Jesus and says, that is who you need to be looking at. It is not, come and see me, come and see my craziness, come and see me eating gross things in the wilderness. That's not what John is talking about. John is in the water saying, look at the Messiah, come and see the Messiah. John, John the Baptist invited people to come and see Jesus, not to come and see John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached the word, right? He preached about that word that became flesh, the word that was with God and the word that was God. And as we'll see in verse 40, those that heard the word of John, those that heard the teachings from John, they went and followed Jesus. When they heard John's teaching, they left and they went and followed Jesus, Church, that should be our prayer as a church. That those who come in these doors, those that come into our Bible studies and they hear the words that we teach, that their hearts and their focus would be to follow Jesus, not to follow Calvary Church, not to follow our Bible study leaders, not to follow some of our dynamic teachers that we have, but that their hearts would be set to follow Jesus. And for those of you who don't know God and say that's impossible, we can never know God the baptizer invites you to come and see. Come and look at God. And when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, guess what? We can know God. We can know and believe in God. And when we come and see Jesus, we can see him forgiving sins. We can see him restoring brokenness. Right? When we look at Jesus, we see him being so generous with his grace. As John said in the beginning, his grace upon grace that he gives to us. And then we can see him giving life to those that know him. And if you're still wrestling with that, if you're still like, I don't know, I want you to come and see Jesus. <laughs> right? Just come and see and look at Jesus and see the life that he has. But I have another question for those that do know Jesus. For those of you that follow Jesus, is he the focus of your ministry? Right? Is Jesus the focus of your ministry? Do we invite others to come and see him? Or do we invite others to come and see me? And that is the question that we have to wrestle with. In church, I'm going to be really honest. This is not just a message for pastors. This is a message for every single person who claims to be a follower of Christ. Right? When we give our lives to Christ, we become a living sacrifice. And your entire life is a ministry. And so when people look at your life... Does it point people towards Jesus or does it point people towards you? Does it showcase what Jesus has done in your life or does it showcase what you think you've accomplished by yourself in your life? Does your life point others to Jesus or does it draw people to you? And so in this passage from last week, 
we see that John invites us to know God, that he invites us to know that Jesus is Christ. Then as we move into this passage, he introduces us to John the Baptist, John the, the baptizer who invites others to come and see the Messiah. He teaches all who will listen that the Christ, that Moses, and that the other prophets talked about, that they prophesied about, he is here, and you need to come and see. And in the following passage, we're actually going to see the second invitation. So we have one invitation that we are to make to others to come and see. And then as we look at this other passage, we're going to see another invitation that is actually coming from Jesus. And this is where he first extends this invitation. But as we read through this gospel, we'll see that he offers the same invitation throughout the gospel. And for those of you that have come and seen Jesus, and those of you that have given your lives to Jesus and followed Jesus, you will see that he extends this invitation to you every single day of your life. And so for this next passage, I'm going to go ahead and read. I'm going to start in verse 35, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon of the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus uh, decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And before we get into this second invitation, I want you to take notice that the disciples of John the Baptist that were directed towards Jesus from the teachings of John the Baptist, they went to go come and see, right? They went to come and see Jesus, and then what did they do? They invited others to come and see Jesus. So again, are you asking others to come and see Jesus? Are you pointing others to see Jesus? But as we get into the second passage, we see that in verse 36, there's actually a transition in this passage. The four disciples that have committed to following Jesus, it begins with the reiteration that, of Jesus' title, that this is the Lamb of God. And John is reminding us that to follow Jesus begins with a recognition of him being a Savior, of him being Lord. 
And this is important because many would follow Jesus but would turn away when he taught things that they didn't want to hear. Or maybe they would turn away when their physical needs were met or when they were not entertained anymore by his miracles. And so they would turn and they would walk away. Jesus became somebody who was just useful to them. He was just a tool to entertain them or to get what they want. He was not beautiful to them. He was not their heart's desire. He was not the thing that they set above everything else. He was just another gimmick to do something for them. But here we see an acknowledgement by these four. It's not a, a complete understanding of who Jesus is. We know that that does not come just like that. But it is an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. And as we find out, as we walk through this gospel, as we walk in our own lives, that, the, that our faith will grow the more we come to know Jesus. But what I want you to pay attention to is that here, even in their uncertainty, right, they ask Jesus and Jesus responds to them. And Jesus responds to them with this invitation to follow, right? Just come with me. Just follow me and believe. And Jesus knows that even as they accept his invitation to, to follow him, that these disciples are, are still at the come and see stage. As we all are, right? No matter how long you have been a follower of Christ, whether it's been one day or 20 years, we are still coming to see the miracles, and the deity of Jesus Christ. So many people think that once you commit your life to following Jesus, all of your questions will be answered, that you'll be fully capable of writing the next commentary for the next Bible translation, right? That's not how it works. That's not true. But we can take comfort in Jesus' simple response to just come, right? Just come and you will see this was the beginning of their intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It started with Jesus simply saying, come and you will see. So much of our understanding of Jesus and our faith is grown as we follow him, as we come to know him, as we walk with him. As we follow Jesus, our hearts are transformed and our minds are renewed as we live out God's will. Paul tells us that by testing you will discern and what that means is that as you do, you will realize. As you do this, you will see. As we put our faith in practice and as we follow Jesus, we'll discover that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Right? We follow Jesus by a faith-seeking understanding. This meaning that faith in God revealed in Jesus Christ prompts us to question and search for deeper understandings of our faith. That lasts a lifetime. Right, for the, the rest of our lives, from the moment we put our faith in Christ to the moment we stand before our Savior, we will be seeking understanding through our faith as we follow Jesus. One of the best answers to the question that I've ever heard of how do you become a Christian was by Pastor Bill Hull. And he said this, follow Jesus. He'll teach you everything you need to know. Right, it is that simple. And these disciples that chose to follow Jesus, they still had a lot, to turn, a, a lot to learn. It's not until a couple of years later that Peter actually confesses Jesus to be Christ, the son of the living God, for the first time. And even at that point, Peter still didn't exactly know what he was talking about because a few minutes later, he tells God that he's wrong and does, tells Jesus he doesn't know what's going on. And then a little bit later, he denies God three times. But I want you to look at the promise that Jesus makes to Nathaniel. 
He makes us to the disciples and the ones that follow him. In verse 51, Jesus said this to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And although Jesus is addressing Nathanael, the you, right, that is in this, in this uh, original text is a plural you. So it's not just to Nathanael. And to be honest, as they look at it, it's not just to those disciples that were with Nathanael, but it's to every disciple that would follow Jesus then and now. So guess what? If you follow Jesus, this promise applies to you. And what the disciples, what all disciples, to all those who followed Jesus 2,000 years ago, to all those who followed Jesus today, the promise is that by following Jesus, right, by following the Messiah, by following the Christ, that by following him, we will receive the fullness of his grace. In John 1, it talked about in the, the first half that we'll receive grace upon grace. And as everyone who has tried to follow Jesus, we know that we need every ounce of that grace upon grace. And Jesus promises that we will get it. And Jesus, as the word made flesh, will make God known to us and provide to us a way to have a relationship with the holy God. That is a promise that is made to each of us. And as we look at this passage, this sound familiar because we just looked at it a couple weeks ago when we looked at Jacob's ladder. And for Jacob, this was only a dream. But now for these disciples and for us, we see this reality in Jesus Christ. That instead of angels ascending and descending on a stairway to Jacob, they now ascend and descend on Jesus. Right, that he is the son of man and that the word made flesh is how God reached down to us to show us his grace and to give us his life was through his son, Jesus. And it is simply by following Jesus that we will experience his grace and his glory in our lives. And as disciples followed Jesus, Jesus promised that they would see greater things concerning himself, that they would see greater things than this, and that promise is extended to all believers. As we follow, our faith will grow and we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we will have life in his name. And every day, Jesus invites everyone to follow and believe. That is an invitation that we receive on a daily basis. And I just wanted to cover a few of those things to, to put that out front because I'm going to invite somebody up to come and share their story with us and share who come and see. I'm going to invite Eric to come on up here. We're going to talk about these little things. I'm going to have Eric share his story. I was thinking of some, I was actually thinking of Eric's testimony and his life, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to share it. I'm going to have Eric do that. Uh, it just makes it easier. But some of these things I want you to, to know, I have no idea. Testing. Uh, some of the things I want you to know is that so many times we leave the come and see to youth programs, right? To some youth outreach. To, we don't take that responsibility to ourselves. But the truth is, they did some stats on this, and what did they say? 90% of stats are made up on the moment. I don't know. But this stat said there was 85 to 90% of the people that come to faith in Christ come through a relationship with somebody. It's too bad we just, too often we just leave that to other people. We say, oh, no, 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 that's the pastor's job. No, 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 that's the youth camp's job. No, 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 that's the women's retreat. No, 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 that's the men's breakfast. That's not my job. But the truth is, is that it is your relationships and you inviting somebody to come and see that Jesus works through 
a large majority of the time. And so with Eric, I, I know that uh, you went through uh, pre-marriage counseling out of church and you just weren't listening, right? I know your wife has tried to tell you about Jesus and you just weren't listening. But tell us about the person and the time that somebody came to you and invited you to come and see Jesus. Is the microphone? Can you guys hear me? No. I have no idea how this works, man. Try that. Okay. Hi, I'm Eric. And I think it's actually. I'll just talk loud. Test. It, oh, okay. it just likes me, man. There we go. All right. Uh, I was having a conversation. I work for LAPD. So I was having a conversation with somebody from another agency. And um, the conversation turned, and she brought up Jesus. And I, that was my come and see moment. And I'll be honest with you, that, that, that was like, what is she talking about? This has just, this has just gotten weird. And I was like, all right, okay, all right. And um, the call ended. But it stuck with me. And I, I can't explain why, but it just, I, my, my mind kept going back to it. But I had to unpack a lot of things. My whole life was based on science and evolution, and we do things this way and we do that way. Um, and so I had to unpack a lot of beliefs that I had. And probably a month, two months, just researching. And then my internal voice one day just said, make a decision. And I was like, all right. So, Dino, what do I do? So that was, that was basically what I ended up. That's when I decided to turn, okay, I'm going to do it. But I didn't have any idea. But the point is, is my hope is that even these conversations that we start with people, it may not seem like it sinks in, but trust me, it sank in with me. And I guarantee you, after that phone call, she probably had that weird, awkward feeling that, all right, well, that, that didn't go so well. <laughs> but, but it did. So. Now, I'm going to fill in some of those blanks that you left right. out. So he comes, he gets, this lady shares with him. Right. And he comes home and tells his wife, hey, we're going to church on Sunday, at which point she freaks out. Like, what the <laughs> heck is going on? And here's what's awesome is Eric comes several weeks and some of you deacons will remember this discussion. We said, hey, there's this family. They've got this blonde-haired lady. She's really nice. And the guy, eh, he's, he's kind of got this frown on his face. He looks mad at everybody. And he takes off, right? Right before the last song, he goes and hides in his car. And he was trying to avoid us. But here's the beauty of God's work. Eric is in charge of first impressions now. He's like, it's so important that we say hi to everybody that comes in the door, right? And so two, two years later, Isaac, or not Isaac, Eric is trying to track people down that he doesn't know, right, for two years. And he's good at it because he used to be that guy, right? So he comes in. Um, uh, you come to church. You've been coming. We meet. So you come to the come and see for a long time. We end up going. I got fat when we were actually sharing because every time we'd meet, we'd meet somewhere for lunch. Um, and we would talk over lunch, and he would have questions about Jesus. And then he came to that point where he said, I, I need to make a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm ready to, to, to give my life to Jesus. And we started talking about baptism. And I just remember one of the things he said that I thought, man, this is, God's got his heart. He said, hey, I want my kids to be there when I get baptized because I want them to know how important Jesus is. And so I said, hey, man, your kids can come to the service anytime you want. And we had a family service coming up. And he said, I want to get baptized on that Sunday because I want my kids to know that Jesus is life. And I want my kids to know how important this is to me. And so we baptized, right? And now, um, since you've been following Jesus, everything has been perfect. You have everything you need in life. You, you're ready to write commentaries for the new King James Bible when it comes up. So tell us some of these, these things, right? Like, what are some of these things that you've learned by following Jesus? 
mic up, Jeremy. My, my lessons are this. Um, to follow Jesus and to, to follow him, you, you read your Bible a lot. And I, and I do that a lot. I read my Bible because that is the word of God. And we're instructed to read the Bible and to know it and to understand it. And a significant amount of time over those two years is studying the Bible and understanding it and reading it on a deeper level. The second thing is prayer. You talk to God. We're instructed to talk to God. And reading the word, prayer brings you closer to God and all the benefits that that relationship um, gives you. It has to be through prayer and, and knowing the word. And Ezekiel 36, 27 I'll put my spirit within you, and you will be following my word. You will, you, will, you will observe my ordinances. And that means to not just know the word, but to follow it. And every day follow the word and understand that he instructs us to live a certain way, to try and work and be a righteous person. And look, we can't be righteous all the time, and I'm a, I have a pretty strong personality, so I fail all the time. But God understands us, and he understands our frailty. And so... We know that he's our savior and he forgives us. And so it's, it's all three. Well, when you say talking about following God and reading his word, it reminds me of a, he was actually a chaplain for a major league baseball team and one of the players came to know Christ. And the player asked, the cha- called him up a couple days later and said, hey, what do I do? And the chaplain said, that's easy. Just read the Bible, do what it says, Right? That could be difficult when we think about it. And as we open up scripture and as we walk and it's God's changing our heart, right? Transforming our heart and understanding this and helping us give us life. And um, I think one of the the interesting things too, just just recently, and I asked if I could share this and and he just laughed. He didn't say yes or no, but I'm going to take that that I can. Um, (laughs) His wife was talking. She said, you know, when we got married, I don't know if I ever expected him to lead my family spiritually. And over these last two years, not only has he led us spiritually, he's doing it well, right? Like he is leading this family in, in ways, and I'm looking at Dana, in ways you wouldn't even dream of or expected. And God has just got a hold of his life, and this Eric is trying to be obedient. Now let me ask you this. What's, what's been the hardest part of being obedient, of, of, of following the word, is following Jesus? What has been this something that's been super difficult to you? Well, we talk about this on the on the Thursday night meetings, we always fall back on ourselves. It's been a difficult thing for me. I I fall back into my old ways sometimes. Um, But he understands us. And going back, I just just find myself trying to resolve my problems through my own ability. Um, And sometimes I fall back into, you know, old ways, but I, I catch myself and I go back to God every single time. And that's part of our walk with, with Christ, with Jesus, is to, he knows that we are frail and that we will fail, but we go back to him constantly. And so prayer and having those conversations with God all the time helps me to stay the course. In following Jesus, right, as you've walked with Jesus, how have you seen your faith grow? Well, I pray a lot. Mm. And... Um, prayer, you know, my faith grows because I see God acting in my life a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when I ask God for something, I ask for his help every single time he delivers. And I see his word in my life all the time. That's why my faith continues to grow because I see his, 
I see how he is in my life, how he helps me in my day-to-day walk and my day-to-day struggle. Um, in every single thing that we go through, it could be anything at work, it could be you know, even internal struggles that we have. Um, I take it to God and I throw my anxieties. It's better, better than living the old way, you know, with fear, anxiety, and anger. Um, giving it all to God, you have the fruits, you have the love, peace, joy, humility. Humility is a big deal. I mean, being prideful is a lot of work. <laughs> it really is. It really is, you know? Yeah, let me, let me just ask you. So, I mean, he has changed your life, and, right. and you were in an area and your circle of friends and your influence um, at best was combative to Christianity, right? And, and even your life and some of the things that we talked about when we were at lunch, I was just like, please don't put my food in my face. I didn't know how you were going to respond to some of those questions. Um, but you were coming from a different place, right? And there was a lot of... Um, tension and conflict as you are making this commitment saying I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what there was a lot of questions right and there was a lot of struggles and there was a lot of difficulties was it worth it absolutely absolutely the person that I was before I had fear I had anxiety I looked at man to resolve all our problems in the world Um, knowing that Jesus is our savior and he reigns over all things we don't as Christians, we don't worry about what this world is, where it's going to go, where I'm going to go. I know that God has my back. What's been your greatest blessing in following Jesus? Peace and joy. Peace and joy. Galatians 5.22. Love, hey. peace, joy, all the fruits of it. You know, I want you to share with them. You, you've shared with me where you came from of, of meditation and, and searching the things of this world. Mm-hmm. I did. I was in a very dark place. Over these years, I was always looking for answers. I got into stoicism i was into the new age i was into meditation and it took me into very dark places and spiritually i was in an incredibly dark place and along with that is all the anxieties that comes with it the fear and thinking that as a humanist we can we can fix our own problems i can fix my problems we get the right guy in a, as a president or we get the right politics in place we can fix these things but as a Christian, none of that matters. You realize it. I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of, of heaven. Yeah. And I have to deal with the problems here. But I don't have the anxieties that everybody else who looks at the human solutions does because I look at God. I know that God's got it. And yeah, things might be a problem, but it was so hollow. All those answers that I got from, from meditation, from New Age, from these New Age beliefs uh, were hollow. And they rang empty every single time, over and over and over. Yeah. And uh, you get nothing out of it. It's just empty and hollow. But uh, Jesus fills the soul. And there's nothing else that comes close to it. Trust me, I tried it. And I did it for years. <laughs> and she's my witness that I was in, I did these things. And I used to say weird things to her. And that came from directly from the New Age. And yeah, it does, there's certain things that happen in your life from New Age. But never fulfills you. It never gives you what you need, which is companionship with God. I'm just going to share with this. One of the frustrations that we talked about following God, and one of these things is we've gotten to know each other and talked throughout the years. Um, one of your biggest frustrations is inviting people to come and see, and they reject it. Right? And it's so uh, interesting to see Eric, because a couple years ago, that was him. 
And now he said, I just don't know why these people don't follow Jesus, right? <laughs> what is wrong with these people? And, and we go through family, we go through works, we go through partner of people that he is sharing with. He's like, why don't they get it? Why don't they get the life that Jesus offers? Why don't they, listen, I am telling them, somebody who's been all over the map. And now I have found peace in following Jesus. And so um, I, I was going to share this Eric's testimony, and I think one of the things that we need to know about, Eric wasn't some drug dealer, right, on the side of the corner and had this wonderful uh, transformation that happened overnight that nobody saw, and now he's following Jesus perfectly. Eric was at work, and somebody at work said, come and see. You, you need to find Jesus. He is the one that can solve your problems. And Eric took up the offer, <laughs> and he came here. He saw you guys. He saw the church. And then he went and hid in his car until Dina got out there. But eventually God got a hold of his heart and he came. And uh, it was actually standing outside those doors. He said, I need to talk to you. And we started going to lunch and talking about Jesus. He was conflicted with um, something's going on in my heart and I don't know what to do. And it was a process. And then even then he said, hey, I wanna, uh, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I want to follow him now, but I don't know how to do it. Well, none of us do. We just read the Bible and we do the best that we can to, to follow that and to work with that. And then over these years, we've just, it's just been so awesome to just see this life transformed into somebody who's following Jesus. And it started with somebody at work having a simple conversation saying, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you need to come and see the Messiah? 